Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host... The name might be changing. I don't know. Today, I don't know what I have on the agenda. We're just going to kind of play it by ear because I'm in a mood. Um, it is presently... If I can find my phone... It's presently 10.57 p.m. on Wednesday, October 18th. I'm coming to you live from my garage. Not quite live, but live enough. Alive. And uh, it's been a fucking week or two or three. I don't remember when I recorded episode four. Uh, I still haven't recorded the end of that episode because I know I ended when I just got really, really tired. So hopefully that panned out, right? Just so you have some context for the development of the show at this point, uh, I have commissioned a really cool artist who is a friend of mine to do the thumbnail art for the the podcast. I'm really excited because I was just going to throw something together with Photoshop that wouldn't have looked very good, but this is like an actual artist who knows how to make art. So that'll be pretty cool. Uh, you'll be... <laughs> pretty well acquainted with what that looks like by now. There's a part of me that's kind of hoping that this thing doesn't catch on super quick. I can't imagine it will, but everybody imagines that it will anyway when they're making their own thing. But I kind of hope that this doesn't just because if like episode one or two comes out and people are like, whoa, this is a really good podcast. And then they're like, hey, answer these questions. And I'll be like, sure. In like, Six weeks once I've caught up. <laughs> Is that MMS ticking? Whoa. All right. Apparently I have to put my phone away. That's weird. I haven't heard MMS ticking in forever. And that wasn't even from a text message. Okay. Well, uh, airplane mode it is then. That's fun. I guess I'll just start with my day. I went to the pharmacy on campus. I had my appointment with my psychiatrist today. Wow, that sounded way closer than it actually was. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm recording with headphones on and every little sound that I hear is like right next to me. So I keep getting freaked out by like cars driving by miles away. Anyway, I had my psychiatrist appointment today and uh, that's been on the, the docket for three weeks. Uh, this past three weeks have been kind of torturous because, like I said in the previous episode, uh, I was misdiagnosed as not having ADHD. My psychologist reevaluated my test results after finding that I had gone through the test and found that uh, I'm definitely positive for ADHD and attentive type. So based on that, he got me in with the psychiatrist on campus to finally start getting that addressed in a medical fashion. And I was on Adderall uh, about a year and a half ago for maybe six or seven months, and it was some of the most productive and generally happy that I've been in a long time. Depression is kind of just a constant background noise for me, but it was really nice to uh, uh, be just be able to have the energy to do the things that I care about. And there were still other problems at the time. But uh, also at my psychiatrist appointment today, he diagnosed me as having bipolar 2, sort of? Bipolar, uh, what was the word? Other, I think, is it's basically like all of the symptoms of bipolar without, uh, with a few, he explained all of this to me, and I was mostly just terrified of the symptoms that he had presented for all of the drugs that he optioned me to. But 
I've taken a lot of antidepressants in the past and none of them have ever done anything. And I considered the possibility of being bipolar because I have for a very long time described my emotional state as a roller coaster, which is probably true for everybody. But for me, it's always been like kind of a two to three week cycle, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. And the depressive episodes last for a really long time. And then I'll have two or three days of feeling like really good and productive and sometimes feeling kind of crippled by, well, often feeling very crippled by my emotional lows and wishing that I could just feel good all of the time. Like not even just happy, but just capable of doing things would be nice. But I always assumed that bipolar disorder was defined by destructive highs. So the idea of the, the the manic stage where you're recklessly endangering yourself and I mean my psychiatrist uh, described that as like uh, you ever empty your bank account to buy something crazy do you ever drive you know 120 miles an hour on a dirt road at night or risk danger or get sexually promiscuous or whatever and it's like nah I mean I have I have a problem with buying things generally, but that's kind of just always true. And I'm never like, oh yeah, time to buy a new boat or whatever. It's like, oh, I should, I want to get three more Criterion Blu-rays because they're having a flash sale today, which I did. I got three Ingmar Bergman films. I got Autumn Sonata, The Magician, and Wild Strawberries, two of which I haven't seen and one of which I've only seen most of because I checked out the DVD from the film lab on campus and the dvd was scratched to hell i wasn't able to finish it but apparently bipolar also has another state where instead of having manic states you have what he described to me as hypomanic not hyper but hypo where you basically how i described it you feel energetic and functional but not self-destructive um and the the he did basically this uh this di- this diagnosis that he read out of bipolar 2 was like describing kind of how I am of f- feeling very frequently depressed and unable to to motivate myself to do the things that I intellectually know that I want to do so uh, I agreed with his diagnosis as best I could with the limited information that I was given. And he prescribed me alongside Adderall. He prescribed me Lamictal, I think is right. Uh, we, we looked at a whole list of mood stabilizers and he ran me through all of the side effects of those. And they were kind of scary. <laughs> Even with this one, which was pretty risk averse, there's like a risk of, of rash that can kill you if you don't pay attention so that's exciting but every single one of them was like yeah you can develop a twitch that if untreated can last the rest of your life and sometimes can kill you also sometimes mood stabilizers can just render you catatonic doesn't happen very often all of these things don't happen very often but there's one drug actually that i think he was trying to position me to try to take that the side effect for that was like 50% of people who take it develop it within like days of starting it. And like it, it, it can be a potentially lethal thing if going unaddressed, but it's something that is virtually impossible to not go unaddressed. So that was a little bit frightening. And we elected to go with Lamictal, which he seemed to think was probably the best one to start with for me. So that's um, 
That's a mood stabilizer. I started that today, back on Adderall at the same time, and was able to get a presentation done for a class tomorrow, which I was gambling that I would be back on Adderall today and hadn't really done any of the work for that presentation. And I haven't really done any of the work for anything. I missed all of my classes this week. Like This week has been so shitty because I just knew that at the end of this week, I would have the the pills that make me feel like a functional human being. And the closer that date came, the less I was able to motivate myself to do anything. It's a miracle I got anything that I was supposed to do done today and or this week, and that was still very little. Luckily, the essay that I needed to do was due like at the beginning of the week, and I had finished that over the weekend, so that wasn't a big deal. But I did miss a lot of class this week, which I feel bad about, and I shouldn't do. I'm back on back on medications, and I feel really good right now. So I wanted to bring up the the bipolar aspect of that because it feels kind of similar to the the the, the trans thing. I should find a different way to phrase it than that, where. I didn't see myself as trans because I was not aware of the incredible variety of different experiences that trans people can have and how it is very much a unique and individual experience. And nobody experiences gender dysphoria or body dysphoria or any of the vague uh, general trans symptoms the same way. I didn't know that there were degrees to bipolar. And in my defense, in that case, the DSM, as uh, updated I think twice in my lifetime and the it's not like I I'm a psychologist it's not it's not something that I really seek out but there is still sort of a stereotypical idea of what bipolar disorder is and you know thinking about it it probably isn't even that extreme for most people if they have bipolar one it's the human the human mind is complicated and weird. Both my psychiatrist and my psychologist have, at this point said to me, psychiatry and psychology are in the dark ages right now, still. Which is which is astounding, considering how much they were in the dark ages in like the 50s and 60s. But we, we really don't know a whole lot about how the brain functions or why the brain functions and... You know, my psychiatrist was like, the 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 big problem with all of this is that mood disorders can look like depression, they can look like ADHD, they can look like everything, and everything can look like everything else. It's really hard to diagnose you with one particular thing when you have so many different kinds of symptoms and they all are comorbid, which means that they are, oh boy... I have to go back to my intro psych class. Comorbid just how do I how do I describe it? Comorbid just means that two symptoms uh, or two ailments have similar symptoms, I guess, or they overlap in some way. That's probably desperately incorrect, but that's the best that I could come up with on the spot here. It feels to me like there's a general lack of education about what what the science thinks about our brains, and we kind of take the media presentation of psychology as the uh, the the face of it when really it definitely isn't and i wanted to share this just a little bit of a thing just in case somebody else has similar symptoms and they'd never considered the possibility of being bipolar it is far too early to say whether 
this actually is the case for me, whether these mood stabilizers will have a positive or negative impact on me. I've been on all of this for a day. So that'll be a subject to return to in future episodes, but right now I feel pretty good. I mean, I'm on an amphetamine, so yeah, I feel pretty good. Uh, And it's so weird talking about Adderall because... For very stupid reasons here in America, we're very, we're puritanical about drugs. We don't, there's something about like, if, if, it, if it makes you feel good, it's illicit. It's somehow like a bad thing. I don't know, man, alcohol is legal and it does terrible shit to you. Basically, all of the male figures in my life have been ruined by alcohol, except for like two that I can think of. And it just runs in my family. Women too. Everybody, everybody, everybody has, has has had a spot of dealing with alcohol abuse, and that's legal and that's not shamed. And it, I mean, it's just as much of a of an escape from reality as anything else. It's habit forming. It... Hey. hey, sorry. That's no, okay. Didn't realize you were recording out here. No, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> That was, that was my roommate. It's all good. <laughs> Singing and getting a Mountain Dew. But yeah, we have this puritanical view of, of drugs. And I used to be really anti-drugs, just generally. I bought into the whole, like, dare propaganda. And in elementary school, I kept urging my mom to quit smoking and quit drinking. And I didn't smoke weed until I was in my mid-20s. I mean, it was only like five years ago at most, probably less than that, really. I used to be so, so opposed to, to drugs. And what's weird is what, what ticked me off, or not what ticked me off, what, what pushed me over the border is, uh, when New York City banned the sale of large, uh, large, like, fountain drinks, like sodas. That was something that I thought, like, yeah, if, if people can't be responsible for taking care of their own lives, then I guess the government has to step in and do it, you know? And one of my friends said, like, I, I can't believe that that's how you feel because that doesn't really jive with the rest of your politics. And I kind of just sat there and thought about that because that's a pretty serious thing to say to somebody. And I kind of realized, like, you know what? Yeah, that's... That's kind of true. Who cares what people do with their bodies? Like why is it why is it the government's responsibility to limit the size of the soda that you drink? Now I can make an argument in favor of of that kind of legislation. I still don't think it's necessarily wrong. However, it still feels like it's treating a symptom rather than a cause. And there's insurmountable proof at this point that making drugs illegal just causes a culture where we mystify them and 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 overdose on them destroy ourselves with them we're seeing now with the legalization of marijuana all over the country that it's decreasing drug related deaths and murders and even even diminishing the effect of the opioid crisis in places like Denver and California and that's because when you make it legal when you demystify it when it's just another thing that you can do it's no it's not it's not cool 
in the same way it used to be. It's not, it's not like a guilty thing. And when you feel guilty about doing something, even if, you know, you say like, Oh, I don't, I don't really give a shit, but if you, but, but, but if, but, but maybe, maybe you do a little bit and you feel guilty about like, well, society says that heroin is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this, but then you still do it because whatever reason that you have, that guilt can drive you into some pretty shitty places. You shouldn't feel guilty on society's behalf. And so I feel weird talking about Adderall because, I mean, in uh, trying to get my ADHD diagnosis and then basically strong-arming my psychiatrists in the past to prescribe me Adderall without that diagnosis after just telling them, like, I've been on it for a while illegally and it's the best I've ever felt in my life in a way that isn't, you know, oh, I'm high, I'm so whatever. I've had to tiptoe around every single time making sure that they know it's not like, it's it's not a fun thing. It's not, oh, I'm so, wow, I'm going to clean the entire house. I'm so filled with energy. I have to conspicuously avoid that kind of language, even though I do feel more energetic when I'm on Adderall because it's a fucking amphetamine. (laughs) It's a fucking amphetamine. Like, of course I feel better, like more energetic, more willing to do things. I'm on an amphetamine. But me feeling good is, is, is not an indicator that it's like a thing that I'm going to abuse or that I've formed a habit from it. It's it's just really frustrating that and and I feel kind of the same thing as I'm going through trying to get treatment for being trans. It's so frustrating when you're trying to deal with what is strictly a medical problem and then society butts in and says this is this is what's good and this is what's bad. We have we have moral judgments about your character based on how you feel when you take a substance. I think like I can't I I can't tell you how many studies I've seen over the last like f- six months saying that LSD and various uh, hallucinogenic chemicals have been shown to treat depression in a in a fantastic way. It's 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 so stupid that this shit's illegal, and I'm in Oklahoma where drug related imprisonment is the highest i think anywhere else in the country if not way up there on the list it's one of the few things we're best at and it's it's just and of course all of that ties into the war on drugs which is this whole racist reinterpretation of slavery in the modern day that has no basis in anything related to actual public health i mean there there should be resources to help an addict. If a person is addicted to a to a drug, they should be supported by their society and and taught to be healthy. And a lot of that comes down to us living in a culture that doesn't cultivate what's the what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't it doesn't cultivate self-control. I have to keep my access to alcohol very low because I I come from a family of alcoholics. It's something that I grew up around, and I don't feel any particular shame about drinking. Uh, and I, I still drink occasionally, and I don't anticipate cutting it out of my life altogether because I realized very early on that even though I am not an alcoholic in the traditional sense, I have an incredibly high chance of becoming an alcoholic. So I treat myself like one. I don't have 
beer on hand or or wine, which is one of my preferred drink, unless it's a special occasion. It's only something I do every once in a while. And every time, like I I drink a lot. I have very bad self-control when I'm sober and getting drunk takes that away almost completely. I've I've been able to clear God, I don't even want to say I I can drink a lot when I'm when I'm really, really, really drunk. <laughs> And you know, I'm not I'm not I don't I don't think that's a problem. The problem comes in that I I could feel like it would be easier for me to live my life if I was like that all of the time. Like I love I do enjoy the feeling of not being myself necessarily, of of letting go of my stresses and everything and just kind of you know, having fun with friends or whatever. And that could very easily turn into like, well, I just enjoy this feeling in general when I'm by myself and there's nothing wrong with that and keep going until I'm drinking every night and then it becomes a habit. And then when I try to stop it, it basically is impossible because I've done away with any coping mechanism I might've had. And this is, it's different for everybody. I think it's very frustrating that we treat alcoholism. God, this keeps it keeps coming back to this, doesn't it? I keep, I'm frustrated that we treat alcoholism like a one size fits all diagnosis. What it is is different for everybody, just like everything else, just like transgender, just like bipolar disorder, just like depression. You can't go at your own mental health like it's it's a book that you can read. It's it's more complicated than that. Treatment is more complicated than that, and it requires a lot of work on your part. I think I've had good results with my psychologist so far this semester because I'm actually willing to do the work for the first time, basically ever. Every time I've gone in, I thought like I, I need I need to talk to a psychologist. I need to have somebody to talk to. But after a few weeks, I'm like oh, I feel fine. I don't need this, and then I stop going. But this particular psychologist is just he's he's phrased it in such a way that it's really it's it's helped me see why i need to go more consistently and i don't know a good a good psychologist is is hard to come by i think and not only indispensable but expensive if you're not a college student so that's the other thing is you know healthcare in america is just pretty fucking terrible and oklahoma uh, I think the Oklahoma Medical Association just announced that they're eliminating outpatient care uh, across the state in order to save something like $750 million because they refuse to raise taxes on rich people. They refuse to uh, get rid of subsidies for oil companies. This state's a fucking mess. It's so cheap to live here, and I've lived here for so long, and I really... You know, my roommates are looking to move to California, and I've been wondering if I'm going to go with them. The plan is right now for me to go with them, but just because of school fuckery, I'm going to be here about six months longer than they were intending to stay. So right now it's kind of a question whether or not I go with them altogether. And, you know, I would love to live in California, I think. But I really like it. I like it out here in Oklahoma. This isn't where all of the people are. There's there's more of a, a freedom of personality to some extent, and that's not necessarily entirely true. I don't know. It's it's very right wing, and 
the education, everything, all of the systems here are terrible. The ed- education system is terrible. My, one of my roommates is a teacher here and she has a very hard time of it. But besides it just being really cheap to live here, it's, there's, there's, I don't know. There's some, there's something about this place that I, I find fascinating. It's maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just that I live in a college town and it seems cooler than it actually is. Because one of my roommates works in Oklahoma City and uh, <laughs> has much more exposure to what the average populace of Oklahoma actually looks like. And it's not great. But then again, it's probably not great anywhere else either. There's assholes everywhere. There's people with dumb ideas everywhere. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about, about leaving Oklahoma because it's, you know, I moved to California and... I'm just another person who moved to California chasing a dream. But Oklahoma is my home. Like it's it's where I was born. I've I've spent now more years of my life here than anywhere else. It's you know if if I if I if I go anywhere else, then I'm I'm not from there. I'll never be from there, and I'll uh, I'll be starting again from scratch. But here I know people, I know places. <sighs> I don't know. But then it'll be easier to transition in another state too. So I don't know. Oklahoma's not great for that. Returning to my meeting with my psychiatrist today, there was an interesting moment after we had gone through all the diagnostics and he came away uh, ADHD, bipolar disorder, or bipolar nonspecific disorder, whatever it's called. Uh, Also provisional generalized mood disorder and social anxiety disorder. Um, did I say provisional general mood disorder? General anxiety is what I meant to say. Anyway, those things, by the way, the the anxiety disorders, he said that it's very possible that those are uh, symptoms of ADHD and or bipolar. So those are not being treated at the moment, which I think is good because anxiety is something that usually results from me being very depressed or on the wrong medication. I was on bupropion for a while and that fucking drug gave me so much anxiety. But anyway, after that, he looked over my file once more and he said, oh, there's uh, I need to go over this real quick uh, just because somebody else had put this on there, something about transgender. So I talked to my psychologist. I've, I've talked to my psychologist about this a little bit. And we haven't really gotten too deep into it. And I don't think it's an area of particular expertise for him, which is fine. But I hadn't realized that that was like on my file necessarily. And I'm not worried about it being there. But it was it it did take me by surprise for my psychiatrist to say, like, I see are you are you transgender? Uh, And I, I kind of stuttered uh, uh, y- yes <laughs> and and then he just straight up asked like okay so do you feel like you're a woman and I've like shrunk you can't see my shoulders but they're at chin level now like I just shrunk like uh, I don't know I'm still figuring that out man and that that was weird that's I've, I haven't I haven't been confronted in that way so far and I have it's been it's been on my mind because I don't know if that was appropriate for him I don't know. He was kind of in a hurry just because not his fault. Like he wasn't like bored or, you know, trying to get out of there. It's just that there are so many students trying to get into, there's like two psychiatrists on campus. So the, everybody's lined up. I mean, it, I, I had to wait for three weeks before I got an appointment with him. So our time was precious and he, 
very quickly caught on to the fact that I'm someone who has to stop and think about what I'm about to say, especially when it comes to this stuff. And I'm very used to the nuance of it. And he's just asking like very, very quick yes or no answers. So by that point, we were very much in that groove of yes or no answers. And it wasn't the place to talk about the nuances of, of being transgender, but it was very weird to have that happen. And I've been thinking about it all day. I guess I've been so distracted by the date of this psychiatric intake that I kind of put everything else on a back burner. I'm someone who tends to fixate on upcoming events. When my friend was prepping to move out from California to do a do a YouTube show with me, that was all I could look forward to for months and months and months. Uh, there's whenever there's a game that I'm excited for right now, I'm kind of hyped up on super Mario odyssey. That's coming out in a few days and I'm real excited. I don't get, I don't get as fixated on stuff like that as much as I used to, because I realized how unhealthy it could be where I was so excited about friends visiting and then they would visit and leave. And then I would just be left with this empty pit in my stomach and I would start like crying and just feel so empty and uh, not sure what to do. Like, what am I doing with my life? My friends are gone. What am I? Yeah. But I still get, I still get fixated on, on, on stuff like that. And so, you know, I couldn't get any work done. I was just so excited, so worried, so ready to be on drugs again. And now I'm back here and it's like, oh yeah, this is the whole, this is the whole thing. It's been, it's been probably over a week since I last recorded anything for, for the, that's not true. I recorded something on my phone a couple nights ago, but it's been a while since I've sat down. I feel bad because I haven't read any more of Julia Serrano's book. Uh, that's something that I'm going to do now that I'm going to be much better able to do because of the Adderall. Like, uh, I can't, I can't begin to express how nice it is to sit down with a project and just fucking do it. It, it, it again feels like what I imagine normal people feel like all of the time where people talk about focus and stick and just doing things and, I'm 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 passionate about so many things. I give a shit about a lot of art, but I just lose motivation and I get distracted and I forget that projects exist and it's it's a bad thing. I've I've ruined I've ruined some relationships as a result of of this biological problem of mine or psychological problem. But now that I am on drugs, I will be better able to finally actually read this book. So in the next episode, I will assuredly have more thoughts about Whipping Girl, and then hopefully we'll be able to move on to other books after that. In the meantime, with the time that I've got left, I wanted to talk a little bit about some fun transphobic bullshit that's sort of fallen, not on my lap, but on my Twitter feed. <laughs> I guess I'll start with this thing. So there's there's a term that is just trap, the word trap. And I've seen it used a couple of different ways. Primarily, trap is used to refer to a trans woman <laughs> in a sexual context. And it's this, it, it generally has a, a, a kink specific connotation, or it is supposed to at least. But there are a lot of people who identify as a trap or don't have a problem with that term and that's fine but i i I have a hard time with that 
Because obviously the idea is that a trans woman looks like a woman, acts like a woman, but then isn't. Aha, gotcha, I've got a penis. In a consensual, sexual, or sensual, romantic, whatever, in a consensual personal context, that's fine. As a, as a role-playing thing, that's fine. I can even see that as being kind of sexy. But as like a thing for you to say about strangers or about yourself to strangers is kind of fucked up to me. I feel a similar way about the term slut-shaming. Slut-shaming as a term is useful, and I, I, I try to be very sex-positive. I think I have a lot of dumb puritanical views that kind of show up uh, against my will every once in a while, and when that happens, I sort of examine those things and say, oh, that's fucking stupid. Why did I say that? But generally, I'm very sex-positive, and, and, and I don't think anybody should be ashamed for their sexual behaviors as long as they're consensual and appropriate for the venue in which they take place. But slut shaming as a term has just sort of like a linguistic aspect to it that I disagree with, where you're saying basically when, when you are decrying slut shaming, you're saying, hey, don't shame that slut for being a slut. Now, slut as a word is is defamatory. Now you can make the argument that it's something that people are that somebody might be trying to take back as uh, any other n- number of other words, the way queer has been taken back. And that's, maybe that's possible. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's the, the, the function of it. But generally, it still just feels like there's so much cultural connotation with slut that's very specific that is difficult to get over. And I think, you know, I think sex shaming is is a better way of saying it because you're you're taking away the cultural baggage of that word and diluting the idea down to exactly what it is. When you say slut shaming, you're saying that I don't know, it still feels kind of like it's endorsing some kind of vague patriarchal bullshit. And maybe that's true. Maybe I'm I'm completely wrong. I, I'm I'm open to debate on the subject, but for me it when I imagine trap as being like a popular pornographic genre or even just a, a word that people use to describe themselves as trans people or as cross-dressers or whatever. I worry about the kind of people who look at that shit without, you know, guiltily in the same way that somebody might do uh, illegal drugs now. I worry about somebody who looks at stuff like that guiltily, is, is aroused by it or interested in it in a way that they don't necessarily understand, that maybe it points to something about the, about themselves, or maybe it doesn't. But either way, they're fascinated by this this idea of, of trap. And that's fine. But what baggage are they bringing to me, hypothetically, if we go on a date? And it doesn't have to be me, it can be anybody. What baggage are they bringing to that conversation? What assumptions are they bringing about my sexuality, about my physical being? Now, of course, I'm I'm still very early on in in my understanding of my my gender and my sexuality. I haven't begun dating or or, or really even presenting in public. But I, I I worry that somebody in that position would bring into a relationship the assumption that a, a trans woman is a, a trap <laughs> uh, and, and, and likes that idea, you know, and, and, and is, is cool with, with that sort of role play. But the reality would be that 
a lot of trans women just want to be women and they're 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 ashamed of of their genitals and they don't want to celebrate what they are physically even if if you can even say that that's what that kind of sexual role play would do and i don't know like again i'm 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 down for fucking anything as long as it's consensual and in the appropriate venue but and 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 there's room to talk about it between two people if you're both mature and willing to learn and listen but I don't find that that's common, necessarily. Again, we live in a very puritanical country, and people shame sexual deviancy, quote-unquote. And it's, it's, you know, it's fine to be turned on by that idea, but that identity, as, just as an identity, it, I, again, it's, it's the assumption that a, a trans woman isn't a woman, that somebody is is going to have sex with you because you're a woman and suddenly you're you're a man and oh shit but oh wait I'm aroused by it whoa or maybe this person is infuriated by it and hurts you or kills you which is increasingly common it feels insensitive to the state of violence against against trans people trans women especially and it's you know, it just, it just, it just bugs me that, that that's, <laughs> that that's even a conversation that we need to have. But again, nuance in America is not our strong suit. All right. Hello. Welcome back. I'm here from the far distant future of December 3rd, which is two days in the past for you, at at least, possibly more. I just wanted to transition really quick into our next subject because I just jumped right into this very hard left turn and I, I feel like there needs to be a couple of quick caveats. So I'm about to talk about some of the fallout from the uh, what started with the Harvey Weinstein allegations and then quickly, quickly ascended towards uh, every man, every single man in Hollywood and elsewhere uh, just being a, a terrible, awful person. But if I remember correctly, when I recorded this, the landslide hadn't quite yet reached avalanche proportions the way that it has done now. I could be misremembering. I don't know. But anyway, I feel like I don't talk enough about all of that stuff for as important as it is. So just, I guess, keep that in mind. Also, content warning, uh, there's literally five minutes of me just reading out the tweets of transphobes. So like, I guess keep that in mind. One less quick warning. I do talk about suicidal thoughts in this bit. So, you know, content warning there as well. All right. With all of those caveats out of the way, welcome to the rest of the show. Enjoy. So the last thing that I want to talk about, I probably shouldn't because it's just going to make me sad, but it's been on my mind. So Helen Rosner on Twitter posted a thread of things that guys can do to support women in the wake of the hashtag me too campaign. Uh, number one was overcome your own transphobia. Trans women are women, except the lived truth of non-binary and gender non-conforming people, whether or not they are women. And the that thread goes on to be very good. And I've been thinking a lot about the the Harvey Weinstein scandal and 
the wave of of women naming and describing their 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 rapes and and sexual abuse and feeling some kind of way about it that I don't feel <laughs> authority to really comment on in any meaningful sense because for the vast majority of my life I have been on the other side of that and probably contributed to it. There are a number of things that I can think of that I did. Not abuse, but I definitely did creepy things. I was such a dumb, dumb teenager. Nothing nothing gross or disgusting, but I just liked to be around people. And if I found a person that I was really fascinated by, I would follow them. Uh, not like without them knowing, but I would just like walk with them and talk with them and not necessarily read that they weren't into it and didn't want me to know where they lived. And that was a dumb, bad thing for me to do. Anyway, at Transcribe retweeted that particular tweet and said, if you want to know why abusers would target trans women, peep the replies here and see how we're really valued and believed. So I did that. And it seems like they've actually mostly gone away which is good um oh wait no they haven't never mind here we go so i'm just gonna read some of these and i'll stop when i get too sad at kbg west 77 says i will not have sex with a man even if he looks like a woman i have a sexual preference respect it at what katie said says a sex is deemed by the sexual organ no vagina no woman at tnt dvm says nope surgical mutilation doesn't change your dna science and stuff at c panther 95 says so the number one way to support women is to support the ones born as men now i see why all the intelligent women are leaving the women's movement hashtag make america great again at whole ellipsis says no they are not they are mutilated men in frocks somebody has a gif of donald trump saying wrong at del boy 1978 uk says drag queens are not women and has a gif of a drag queen with twitchy eyes maheen the merciful says it can't give me a family naturally women are born not made otherwise the surname would be trans i don't know what that's supposed to mean at dazzly pants says quote unquote trans women are women ellipsis quote unquote whether or not they are women you can't even get your narrative right i prefer my women to not be dave at ob3 one says um no i don't have to accept anything at white antelope 2 says ha 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 that's like sewing a screwdriver onto a root vegetable is that where turnips come from at tvt vm says um no to this one at w zero nder five wonder five says your number one input for support of women is support of trans people if nothing else that's statistically far less relevant at retief underscore 99 says you're funny without an apostrophe re I'll pass. They are not women. At Hagen, Haggis and Whiskey says, I don't even know what that means, to be honest. At Hail for Jesus says, when he has a period slash baby or hysterectomy, then it's a female. At ob 31 says, trans women aren't women. They are men who feel more comfortable with themselves when they dress and do things women do. Fuck off, dude. At Politics with an X UK, is it really men that have the bigger issue with this? <laughs> At Nani38470767 says, Nobody cares. Be whatever you want to be. All this transgender thing is everywhere. Who really cares? Don't try to push. Space, space. This matter. At Ed Mendez1969 says, Well, hell no. Trans women aren't women. Thank God you have things to do. 
some guy 36912 says yeah sure they are make-believe women uh wrong if they were women the word trans would not appear before woman i am a woman and not a single thing you list is something i want the men in my life to do they are all for wimps i don't like whippy men xx equals female xy equals male this is science anything else is mental illness at the larson group says transphobia laugh emoji laugh emoji laugh emoji laugh emoji is that even a word at Z-N-U-Z-E-R says, except you're delusional. Overcome, it's not about you. At Wonka's underscore Willie says, trans people have a mental disorder. At CB underscore Demented says, I don't have anything to overcome here. You are what you are and how you define yourself. Shrug. At Stel Slagmart Weasel says, nope, biologically illogical. Oudbum says, nope, science disagrees. JG underscore Gloves says, don't kid yourself, they are not. Keep dreaming, honey. <laughs> At BGR Politics says, I accept the concept of there being two genders, only two genders. Within that, I accept trans people. Veritas 432, oh boy, except says chromosomes and DNA disagrees with your defense of a mental disorder. At hashtag dude in a dress. Oh. At Jen underscore pansexual says, I'm trans and I reject this statement because it is not true. Easy. Men can express as they like. I do, but woman equals adult female, which males are not. At Scott Shook AZ says, don't ask us to share your dysphoric delusion. There are two genders and you were born either male or female. Anything else is a mental disorder. I guess fuck intersex people, right? Uh, non-binary and gender non-conforming people aren't trans. Fuck you. The mentally ill gays. Fuck you. That's the number one point. The number one way to help women. This make blah, blah, blah. Yeah, fuck all of that. Uh, so... Why did I read all of that shit? I don't know. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about because I'm gathering more clothes and prepping myself up to get my fate, my beard lasered off and start presenting differently. And, uh, you know, I feel weird about my pronouns. I don't know if I want to or will ever identify as, as, as a woman, go by she, her. I don't know if I'll change my name. Like I've said before, I like my name. Everybody has the right to do whatever the fuck they want and be described as however they want. And so there's this, this this fucking fallacy that keeps coming up in these tweets, the idea that uh, science disagrees with you. Well, let's just say that science did say for a fact that there are two genders and there are, you, you know, your DNA determines everything and there's male and there's female and that's all that there is to it. Even if that were true, which it is not. Who the fuck cares? Why does it matter? We are not using the, so, the social uh, categories of male and female for scientific purposes. We're not using those things as a means of determining <laughs> political eligibility, like your, your ability to vote or your ability to drive. Those, those, things, those things are on your birth certificate, and that's one thing. That's nobody else's business. Even if even if science disagrees with the idea of transgenderism on the whole, if that's if that's thousands of people's personal experience, if that's millions of people's personal experience, then that's their experience. And you're just as delusional as you think that we might be saying, oh, you can't be a woman because and then it gets down to how do you define what a woman is? Do you define her by the clothes that she wears? Do you define her by her genitals? Do you define her by her hair 
or her ability to reproduce. Because all of those things are things that quote-unquote biological women frequently are incapable of presenting or, or utilizing or performing. So is a woman who can't have, give birth to a baby not a woman? Is a woman who dresses like a man not a woman? It's kind of hairy. And when you're having this, this conversation from a feminist perspective about the gender binary, you say, well, you can't reduce what a woman is to her genitals or her hair or her clothes or her behaviors or whatever. But then when it comes to trans people, the, the, the turf perspective is, well, you're just trying to boil down. Uh, you, you can't be a woman because uh, you don't have the genitals. You don't have this. You don't have that. It's just a blanket dismissal of what a trans woman can be what a woman is, and inherently with that, what a man is. It's interesting to me that it doesn't quite swing the opposite direction, actually. You don't have the same kind of response to a, 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 a person born, born biologically female, let's say, being a trans man, by no means saying that the, the, hate, the hate isn't there, that the violence isn't there. It absolutely is. But there's like a visceral hatred for trans women, and there's this this gut wrenching idea of here's a man in a dress, and he's trying to to get in the women's locker rooms, and he's gonna masturbate all over everything. It's I mean it's it's an old worn out lame excuse and defense of just garden variety fear. All it really is is that our understanding of how how human beings work, how gender works how sexuality works, how our biology works, these things are expanding. Study after study now have shown that gender is a spectrum. People fall different places all over it. Sex is not yes or no. There are all kinds of different intersex characteristics. And the argument against that, of course, is, oh, well, those are an aberration. I'm stealing that particular phrasing from a, 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 a ContraPoints video. And like Natalie says in that video, well, goddammit, every theory is perfect if you exclude all of the things that would make it imperfect. It comes back to this this feeling of this, this puritanical thing. Like, I keep you keep reading people say, if you're born a man, you're born a man. You got to learn to live with it. Like you, you, you just got to buckle up and say, well, this is my lot in life. And that's, that's all that there is to it. And, and you see the same thing with people who have like ADHD, where there's, there's shaming about taking Adderall. People are like, oh, you're taking an amphetamine. Well, of course you feel better. You're on an amphetamine or people who are depressed, who are on antidepressants. They say, oh, you got to get off of those drugs, man. Cause there's, they're just frying your brain. What you really need to do is you need to go on a cleanse. You got to go do some yoga and fucking commune with nature that'll that'll fix your fucking depression why do we hate people trying to be happy because it's not like the process of treating transgender is really that like if, on the scale of medical treatments it's not that intense Unless you do gender reassignment surgery, which is not most trans people because it's expensive. What's the harm in, in somebody wearing clothes that are different from the gender they're assumed to be? What's the harm of somebody taking hormones to make their body feel more like the way that they feel their body should? Why are we afraid of people trying to make better for themselves? 
Is it because they've found an answer? Is it because like we we feel the same misery, but we think it's unfair that they've found the thing that's wrong with them? There's a Louis C.K. bit where he talks about that very thing. No, it's not Louis C.K., it's Dave Chappelle, right? Maybe it's both. Oh, boy. I don't know why I'm thinking about Louis C.K., but I think he did this almost this exact same bit. Either way, one of those two comedians uh, had a bit of like, you know, I envy trans people because, you know, you figure out what's wrong with you, which is not necessarily always true. I mean, in my case, there's a there's a whole basket of things that are wrong with me and treating one will not fix it. I have to treat the whole basket. <laughs> and because because it's just been so much in the news, I have to say uh, just about Louis C.K. Louis C.K. used to be one of my favorite comedians. And I still, I mean, I can't, I can't deny the effect that his work has had on, on me. I think Louis as a show is one of the best comedies on television, but Louis C.K. is a piece of shit and I don't support his work anymore because of the way that he behaves around women. Now see that thing that I just did. Why is that so hard? I understand the desire to, to hero worship. I hero worship as much as anybody else. But when you have you have these parasocial relationships with with celebrities where you're like, I I love uh <laughs> I don't know why I go to Bo, Bo Burnham. I love Bo Burnham and he gets me, man. When he and then Bo Burnham makes songs about how he doesn't get you, this is all fake and you're ruining your life as a result. And then when somebody does something terrible, like say Nick Robinson over at Polygon, uh when it came out that he was manipulative and sexually abusive to people. Uh, there are a lot of people who came to his defense when it was pretty clear that this was this was an open secret, like this always is, the same way it was in in, Harv- in Harvey Weinstein's case. It's pretty clear it was an open secret to a lot of people. It didn't come as a surprise to a lot of people, and there's still an urge to defend him from the people who like his stuff. And I think there's just this desire to like, well, but this is, I, I, but I like his stuff, man. I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want to have to like get rid of this thing that I like, you know, and I feel the same way about Louie. I, I, I really like that show, but I, I don't, I don't want to support him anymore. I don't support his behavior. I don't. So I just don't support him anymore. And I feel like almost all the people I follow on Twitter now are either transgender or somewhere on the, the, the gender fluid spectrum. And that's because everybody else has just become very disappointing it's hard when you're trying to find like a role model for for what what is what is a what does an admirable man look like? Is it Bill Cosby? Is it Louis C.K.? Is it Nick Robinson? <sighs> These people, it, it just it really at this point feels easier to just assume that all men working in a position of power have abused a woman at some point in their life, and not to say that this does not diminish or. Uh, is not meant to eclipse the the suffering faced by women, but as as a as a man who is trying very hard to be a feminist, it's challenging because all of all of my role models for what behavior I should exhibit when I when I identified as as a cisgendered man, all of those people wound up being terrible human beings, and it just. It feels like this, this, all of this is just wrapped up in the same dumb patriarchal bubble of feeling like we have to, we have to take control of things or we have to just let things happen to us. You know, the, the, the visceral hatred that trans people elicit in, in, in assholes, (laughs) this idea that you're born something and that's what you have to be. But if I, if I stayed what I was born, I would have killed myself. My entire life, 
has been a journey of self-discovery, to put it in the most cliched, like eye-rolling way possible. But it's true. If I I hadn't made the choices that I'd made, done the things that I'd done, traveled this road that I'm on, I definitely would have committed suicide by now. If I hadn't realized that I'm transgender, I might not have made it through this year, which is scary to think about. And now I have something to look forward to. And I also have potentially a lifetime of bigots targeting me for something that doesn't affect them and is just a thing that would make me happy. And it's not, an, it's not a mental illness. I have my fair share of that, but transgender is not a part of that. I just think, I just think we should all get along, man, you know? No, I don't think that. I wish we would. I wish we would get along. But in the internet age, nobody lives anymore. Everybody's just absorbing information without context. And in that world, any information is legitimate. Without a lived experience attached to it, nothing means anything anymore. So anything can mean whatever you want it to mean. And in in a world where there are no jobs, there's no support, you're expected to pay for your own health care, your own education, when every other nation in the world does that through the government. You, When you cripple yourself with debt as a result, when you're expected to behave a certain way or face criminal punishment as opposed to rehabilitation, it's easier to find an enemy in another person than it is in a system. It's easier to find a scapegoat in a trans woman than it is to find a cause in a politician. And change is slow, and fixing Fixing the gaping wound of our society is something that requires a lot of time, a lot of patience, and a lot of concerted effort. And we live in a world where one of the worst shootings in American history happened a few weeks ago, and we've stopped talking about it. Everything moves so fast. Our memory is so so short. I don't think I don't think our memory is that short, but I think. So much is happening and we feel obligated to stay on top of things and everything gets pushed to the side and we just, for better or worse, forget. We need to have meaning in our lives. We need to feel like we have a purpose, you know? We need to... We we, we like clean, clear narratives, especially here in America. And part of that involves when you feel like your life is shit, which is the vast majority of Americans at this point, it's somebody's fault. Now, it might be your fault, but that's not a very satisfying story. So whose fault is it? Well, you could say it's the government. You can say it's society. But you can't punch the government. You know, you can't verbally abuse society. When you have a person who seems to physically oppose your values, it's easy to latch onto that as, as a symbol of everything that's wrong with the world and attack it vigorously. But that doesn't fix your life. It doesn't change anything about you. It doesn't stop there being people like the person you attacked in the world. Nothing will, because transgender is not a it's it, it's not a social construct purely. It's a it's a function of the human organism. Trans people have existed as long as there have been people, same as gay people. <laughs> There's just a complete blindness to the problem and a complete lack of willingness to address it. We pit ourselves against each other, and the wealthiest people in the world benefit. It's the same old story, as old as time. We act like it's new, but it's not. Do you know, there was a school in Germany that had pioneered transgender science. They were decades ahead of anybody else in the world. 
And the Nazis burned that place to the ground, including all of its books, and all of that knowledge was lost. It's it's hard to imagine what the world might have been like if that school had, had, had been allowed to continue to exist, if its knowledge had been spread, if that line of research had continued. Instead, it was it was demonized the way that the Nazis would have wanted, and it was stigmatized. And now, many decades later, we're only just starting to finally really do that work again. And here you have people reacting, getting angry, getting violent. They want something to fight for, and they choose to fight for tradition. They choose to fight for an idea of a world that can never exist again, if it ever existed at all. They want this war against people who are different from them. And nothing I say or do will ever be able to convince them. Nothing anybody ever does or says will be able to convince them because it's it's a part of us. It's what we do. I'm sure I'm, I do the same shit in my own way. It's an unfortunate function of social psychology, the collective unconscious of humankind. But the upshot to all of that is that nothing lasts forever. This wave of hatred will diminish hopefully sooner rather than later. I have my doubts, but it will go away. This energy of hatred consumes itself rapidly. It can't last forever. I don't know if I have much hope that it will diminish enough that I won't feel fear for myself. And I don't have much hope that the damage that can be done would be reparable. But I also know that I've found something that would make me happy would make my life worth living. And I would rather live that life in defiance of every asshole out there who thinks that gender is biological, who uh, hates a trans person for what they represent. I would rather be myself and be hurt or killed in the process than continue what, I'm, what I've been doing. After all, they probably want me to kill myself. I'm not going to give them that satisfaction anymore. I am who I am. Fuck the rest. Wow, that was a long episode, wasn't it? Kind of full of grandstanding, huh? Got a bit up on my soapbox there towards the end in the last, what, 30 minutes of that episode? Jeez. Anyway, if you liked what you heard today, you should go over to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash L-T-A-S. That stands for Let's Talk About Stuff, which is my YouTube show where I talk about media. I did the little rainbow hands there, but you couldn't see it because podcasts are an audio medium, which I'm not used to as a YouTube guy or gal. Gosh, that's going to be weird to get over, huh? If you have questions or thoughts or stories that you want to share with me and potentially get read in a podcast and be the start of a conversation, send me an email at transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com. All one word, just like the title of this show. The cover art is by Emily Bumgarner. Music is We Shop Theme Jazz Cover by Insane in the Rain Music. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a pleasant weekend, and that you learned a thing, and that maybe you feel a little bit better about the world in which you live. I will see you next time.